fun. Ugly game. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Bear Football. My name is Aldo Gandia filling in for John Buffone and Jordan Silvera is filling in for Danny Shaman and possibly Coach T. We haven't heard from him. Hopefully he'll join us a little later. Jordan, how are you, my friend? Um, well, Aldo and Coach T, where are you at? Come on in. <laughs> I'm just messing around. We'll handle it. I'm never happier to just talk chalk with you, Aldo. Well, and I, I frankly was looking forward to uh, asking both of you guys questions about formations and schemes and the offensive coordinator and so forth. So maybe he'll join us a little later. But regardless of that, the Bears uh, end up winning 16-13 to in what truly was an ugly football game with execution problems on both sides of the football. But the defense did play well enough to win this game. Now, this team, the Carolina Panthers, are truly pathetic. And I and I expect David Tepper, the owner of the team, to fire Frank Reich tomorrow. I really do expect that to happen. But let's start talking about the defense because that was the highlight of the game. They got three sacks in this game. What do you think about the line of scrimmage play by the Bears' defense? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, although it's very clear who rules the trenches in these two teams – Clearly, the Bears' defensive line is better than the Panthers' offensive line. And that's a little bit of a shock considering what the Panthers' offensive line looked like last year. But if you've watched any bit of Panthers' ball this year, their offensive line has been a problem. James Campen has remained there. That was the idea behind the hype is, hey, we're going to have some offensive line continuity for our young quarterback. We're going to bring back their offensive line coach. For whatever reason, it's just tailed off. It hasn't looked good. And all of a sudden, you saw some of the depth of the Bears play a role. Rasheem Green having some step-up plays. Obviously, Yannick Ngakwe gets his first registered notch sacked. And a lot of that has to do with a guy like Montez Sweat, a guy like Zach Pickens and Jervon Dexter coming in trying to make some plays. And I just think that I wouldn't say that they overwhelmed him per se, but, you know, there was a there was a hard knocks talk about like I think it was Dan Campbell last year in the Lions talking about dragging a team out into the depths of the ocean and just drowning them out there. And that's mm -hmm. largely what it felt like watching this Bears defensive line drag that Panthers line and that offense out to the depths and drown them and go, OK, Bryce, what are you going to do? You're physically limited. Show us that you can beat us. Why we play soft coverage in the back, play cover two. make sure you're not beating us over the top. I, I guess the what is disappointing is that we didn't beat them more convincingly. I mean, this Panthers team is really, really bad. Their offense is putrid. Bryce Young is having all sorts of problems. The offensive line has not played well all season long. The running backs, no, there isn't a running back on the team with a 4.0 or over uh, rushing average. 
Um, Adam Thalen has been the only bright light. He's coming into the game. He had 62 receptions. And so that's a target of 120 plus uh, receptions. I mean, do you feel like I do and that this should have been even, uh, you know, more dominating performance by the defense? Yeah, I do. I mean, I actually had predicted the game to be a 31-13 score for the Bears, and I got the Panthers right, but obviously I got a little bit ambitious. And I'm certainly I think that some of that Tyson Bajant playing conservatively, I certainly think you saw some of the coaches putting a leash on him to say, and hey, don't take too many chances, Rogue. Keep us ahead of the sticks. But I also just think in general, too, is I, you know, it's, it's tough. I think that the Bears are a talented team, and this is why we come back to the coaching you've got a lot of talented players. And for whatever reason, you can't find a way to put more than 16 points on the board. And I just think anytime we talk about answers, like, hey, what if we just feed DJ Moore? You tried to feed DJ Moore. It didn't work. Like, There's got to be better answers here. And that's, to your point, although I'm incredibly disappointed, you should be laying it on a team like the Panthers, and you're not. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one guy who had in a spectacular game tonight, Kyler Gordon, the Indeed. guy who likes to be referenced as Spider-Man. I mean, I'm surprised that national TV announcers didn't pick up on that and play that up as opposed to interviewing uh, Kelsey for 30 minutes during the game. Like, what are we doing here? But that's another story for a different day. Kyler Gordon was just all over the field, and it looked like he had a great week in terms of film study because he was anticipating stuff all over the field. Talk to me about number six. Yeah, you, although it was something that I kind of noted early on in the game is that I thought that they were, you know, maybe he's freestyling, but I don't I don't think that's the case with this defense. They were playing with his movement a lot pre-snap, faking the blitz, coming up, shifting off. Are you coming? Are you going? Is this man? Is it zone? And sure, I think some of that's just his own stylistic preferences, but inherently you're absolutely right. He was all over the field. And a guy like him, I mean, this is the the allure behind Kyler Gordon is there's just not a lot of DBs that have the short area, oily hips, change of direction skills that he does. And he's explosive. And you saw a guy that was putting a lot of stress on an offense of where is this guy at at all times? And he was just flying around. And there's no doubt that, in, at least in my opinion, that's your MVP of the game is Kyler Gordon. And that's what you want to see. We talked about it earlier, what players develop. And it's a game, but I'll certainly take a positive game from a Kyler Gordon when there's not been a ton of development from many of the players that Ryan Poles has brought in. I think Steve Me is being has got his tongue firmly implanted on his cheek when he writes, Bears win at home because Eddie Pinheiro can't kick a 60-yard field goal. Everyone should keep their job. Well done, Coach Flus. Four more years. Bajant is the future. What an amazing three plays he made. <laughs> yeah, definitely tongue in cheek. <laughs> That's exactly what it I mean, and you know, it's hopefully that we we are much more measured and much more education uh and knowledgeable based football fans, and we understand it's just a game and understand the context that's Stephen me is is presenting but absolutely and i mean this is the thing and i, I don't know if you feel this way although but i've said that I, you know you're gonna have people saying that rebuilds take more than a year and that's debatable you see some teams like the Bengals go from one year to the next and things explode and others you know harbaugh when he's with the niners but i think that this team has too much talent to have two i guess three wins now i, I think that they have too much talent to just be wallowing in the depths of as we were talking about having coaches like Chris Morgan, where he's an okay offensive line coach, but he's not special. Uh, to sit there and, and even have the thought or belief that Ryan Poles could be potentially bringing this staff back, I, I mean, that's a nightmare. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that there is a lot of talent on this team, but it is not properly developed. We, we talked about this in the pregame show, and you pointed out to me, you know, who, who – 
who has been developed by this coaching staff. And it's hard to make the argument for uh, many players. There are a handful of players that I would say, you know, particularly well, Tevin Jenkins did not have a good game today. He, he played a pretty good, uh, a, a fairly formidable defensive tackle who kind of pushed him around on some pass sets, mm -hmm. but did play well as he always does in the run uh, in the run blocking game. But yeah, you're right. I mean, th this team is not, the players are not being developed. Is Are you giving an endorsement to Ryan Poles and the roster he's been trying to build? That's a tough one for me, Aldo, because I, I think I and we we go through this every time there's a draft. And you have me on here where I go, well, I mean, Rashad Johnson, I love, and yeah, I like the value of Tyler Scott, but I don't like the Javon Dexter pick, but I love Zach Pickens. So I think that there's no doubt that you see a lot of the talent and the skill sets that Ryan Poles is bringing in. I think what's to your point, this is the biggest downer or depressing factor is somehow this talent evaluator who clearly is scouting for athletic traits and skills found a way to simultaneously hire a coach that's best fit as a PE teacher. Like it just, it drives me crazy. I, Cause it's not even just about miscasting skill sets, but you're sitting there with players like, you know, like, look, I love Khalil Herbert. Juice Herbert's awesome. But you see De Deontay Foreman, who's been sitting inactive for weeks. This guy is the heart of your offense. Tyson Bajan's not the player. It's Deontay Foreman that's the engine that's steering this offense to a, a kind of a lousy win over the Panthers. Mm -hmm. Roshan Johnson, I'm not telling you he's a world beater, but you'd be best off to just run a gap scheme system that just pounds the hell out of defenses. And the offensive coach that Eberflus hired was insistent on running wide zone. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'm looking up. For, uh, looking up Khalil Herbert's stats because, uh, you know, in terms of uh, run average, yards per carry, Herbert is at 5'3". Foreman is at 4'4". Uh, Roshan Johnson at 4'5". The reason I bring this up is I think that you could put almost any average to better than average running back in this on this team and they will run the ball well. This is just from a run running offense – this is a well-designed uh, offense. This It works no matter who you put back there. I, I'm not trying to demean Deontay Foreman because he has played well. He has been a spark. It's been great to see him, you know, handle the number one starting running back ro uh, role. But when Khalil Herbert comes back, I don't expect that 5.4 average to dip m much lower than that. Uh, it, it should be in the f uh, high fours. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think you've got a point, Aldo. I think the, the thing to me, though, and I'd be curious, and we'd have to dig much deeper, but to me, I think a lot of what that 5.3 you're saying is it's Khalil Herbert's running style. He is a mm -hmm. flashy runner. He's a chunk runner. He's going to run for two and three, and then he's going to run for 18. And then he's going to run for three and then two and then six, and then he's going to break off a 28-yarder. That's the style of runner that Khalil Herbert is, and there's not necessarily a problem with that. I just, and it, again, it's a personal preference. I wish we had Coach T here because I'd love to know what he thinks about his preferred style of offense. But there's just something to me. I talked earlier about bringing that defense out to the depths and drowning them in the middle of the ocean. You know what demoralizes the defense is when you hand it off to Deontay Foreman and, and Roshan Johnson, and they're pounding it down your throat for five yards every time. It just, yeah. and, and Tevin Jenkins is just running your dudes over, and Darnell Wright's planting guys on their ass. That's tiring. It's demoralizing. It's draining to a defense. Not the, you know, well, okay, we're going to ride, run wide zone, and then, oh man, Khalil Herbert gashed us for 20 yards. I mean, that's fantastic, but I think you get more 
I guess you could say squeeze from from the juice, you know, from squeezing your your orange, your fruit there by just pounding the rock with Deontay Foreman and Roshan Johnson. Yeah, I want to get back to the defense, and we'll be doing this through throughout the show. We'll be jumping defense off mm-hmm. and special teams as well. Uh, back to the defense, it does seem like Montez Sweat, uh, in in this very very small sample size, has had an impact on the entire defensive line. And you know, we know that he is not a premier pass rusher, but he is going to get double t- team attention from time to time. And he, as you said in the pregame, he's an excellent run defender. What can we expect in these remaining, what, seven games that we have that Montez Sweat can further do for this defensive line? Well, you know, and I'd love to take credit for this, but I think Ryan Poles was actually one to say it is that he viewed Montez Sweat as a force multiplier, and I think that's the best way to put it. Montez Sweat is the piece that this defensive line's been missing, and I'm not saying he's Khalil Mack or a world beater. I wouldn't even say he's the best strong defensive end in the league, but clearly if when you looked at this Bears defensive line, you had Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe on his best day is a weak side defensive end. You did not have a strong side defensive end that had at least some modicum of pass rushing presence while also being able to set the edge and set the run. And as much as I can give you some credit and say Rasheen Green's a nice player and, and Walker uh, is a good player, they're not the caliber of strong side defensive end that Montez Sweat is. And so when you bring a guy like Sweat on, how does that affect your defensive tackles? What does that do for your opposite side defensive end when all of a sudden more attention has to be paid to him on passing downs? And all of a sudden, if he's setting the edge, the run has to careen back towards your defensive tackles, towards your weak side end. And I think that's that force multiplier that Ryan Poles was speaking of. I'd love to hear your take on TJ Edwards, uh, the linebacker for the Chicago Bears. Once again, he leads leads a team in tackling 12 tackles, according to ESPN.com. You know, he does this in such a quiet way. Is he really a uh, impact player, or is he just sort of so-so and he's making plays because, you know, he's playing on an average team and somebody's got to tackle somebody? <laughs> That's a tough question, although, and of course, it requires a lot of nuance. I think Edwards, I wouldn't tell you he's an impact player. I don't think I wouldn't put him as a top 10 off ball backer in the league. But one thing, and I, I wouldn't even tell you I was so down on him or super high when he was signed, but TJ Edwards to me was the perfect example of kind of what you hope Jack Sanborn becomes, which is a player that's a tryhard, that's instinctive, that finds his his mind, puts him in the right places. He's not an incredible athlete. He's fast enough but he finds his way to the ball and it's all about heart and try hard. And just that kind of mentality. You're never going to see, you know, you talk about, Hey, this defense predicated on not loafing the hits principle guys like TJ Edwards. I kind of view them as to your question. Is he an impact? I wouldn't say that. I think he's a glue guy. These are guys that set the example of what the defense is supposed to look like. And that's through playing gap disciplined approach, being smart, being disciplined, having instincts, finding your way to the ball, fighting through blockers, fitting the run, trying to do your best in pass coverage. That's what I think you get with TJ Edwards. And to your point, he's not a household name, and so it's quiet. And when you're playing with the Eagles, when everybody's a star around you, you tend to be forgotten. And when you're playing with the Bears, when you've only got two wins on the season, nobody's paying attention to you either. Mm. Jay Sanders says Edwards gets beaten coverage often because he runs a 4840. And I, I I don't know if that's exactly true. I'm not disputing 
uh, Sanders' claim there that his 4.8 doesn't affect his play. But I was reading an article just today, as a matter of fact, that there are, uh, the Rams have been leading the way with this. They're not worried about uh, 40-yard dashes uh, unless they're looking for a particular player, a position player where they want speed, like a, a go-down-the-field wide receiver. You look at Cooper Cup, who ran a 4.6 uh, at the Combine, they targeted for uh, Cooper Cup and his 4.6 speed because when they timed him with GPS and running certain routes, he was among the fastest out there. And so I wonder if TJ Edwards is that kind of a player who anticipates what's going on and gets to the certain point where he needs to get to faster than most linebackers. I see you nodding, so maybe I'm right here. No, <laughs> I, I tend to, no, although I don't think you're wrong. I think that, I mean, and I, you know me, I'm an NFL fan, so I know a lot about these different teams. You look at what Les Snead and the Rams have done. I mean, there's a reason why a guy like Jordan Fuller, who went in the fourth round as their safety, didn't test exceptionally well. There's a reason why, to your point, and it's very astute that they've kind of, they don't even attend the scouting combine, the Rams uh, staff. And the reason for that is they do rely on GPS and catapult data and all these different services that allow them access to that data from the college level that allows them to pick players. I mean, I think of like Darion Kendrick, who, yes, he went to a big school, but he was a late round pick. He started for them at corner and it's because he didn't test exceptionally well, but he's playing on a ma massive program and starting for a massive program. And guess what? They're able to, to take and extract that data and go, look, he's playing on a solid program. Those coaches know what they're doing. Let's pull the GPS data. It looks good. So I wouldn't be surprised to, to Sanders point. I'm not disagreeing. Uh, yeah, that's, that's why that's literally why I said Edwards is a tryhard. He's not the most physically gifted. But to your point, although some of those stats, those those measurables, length, 40, those get thrown out the window when you have, I guess you could call it more intrinsic data, metadata on GPS, things of that sort. Love it. Love it. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Eddie Jackson. This appears to be the first full game. I haven't seen a snap count, but I think he played the the vast majority of the game at the safety position. How did Eddie look to you? And I know you're going to pour over the All-22 sometime this week, and you'll you'll have more defined opinion on that. Uh, particularly, it's hard with Absolutely. TV coverage to evaluate safety play. But how did Eddie look to you? You know, I, I, you're going to probably see a lot of this on, on, on Bears Twitter. I thought they're going to tell you that he had a down game. I don't think he had a spectacular game. I just mm -hmm. don't think that Eddie's the same player that a lot of us remember from 2018 and before. Yeah. And I don't think he was a, I don't think he was a detriment. I don't think he was a total liability out there. But to your point, that guy's making a ton of money to, to sit there and be what? I, and this is kind of – I don't mean to cart back on that coaching point, but – you know, and this is, we can even go a little bit of Mont Montez Sweat and the trade value for a guy like this. But at a certain point, I don't want my team acquiring 16th to 18th to 21st best in the league. I want, ideally, I want players that are, you know, top 12, top 10 at their position. Eddie Jackson's making a ton of money to be, what, the 28th best safety in the league? Like that, that's not going to do anything for you. And that's the problem I saw with Eddie Jackson tonight. And certainly mm -hmm. I think that, He's probably going to be a cap casualty, and we'll see if anybody comes calling. Uh, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time you got people like Deshaun Gibson, who used to be a safety for the Bears that started two years with the 49ers now or had significant playtime with them. But certainly I think the Bears need to be looking at safety, at least free safety, um, as a position of need. And it's a bummer because I've thought for a while, man, you really have that that secondary locked up if you re-sign Jalen, assuming Eddie Jackson returned to form. You had Eddie Jackson through, I believe, next year. Jalen would have been with a new deal. Kyler Gordon's got another two years after this, and so does Jaquan Brisker. 
And now, obviously, Stevenson's other side. You got a pretty locked up secondary, but unfortunately, it looks like um, Eddie is going to be kind of out the door, and you're looking to fill it with another free safety. What do you think about what a little wasted uh, says here that Eddie misses Vic Fangio? And by the way, Troy says we all miss Vic Fangio too. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> what, I what do you think is was was Eddie Jackson's success more a re, uh, the result of Vic Fangio's defensive coordinating coaching? Uh, you chicken and the egg. I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, I think that what people probably don't realize is that with Vic Fangio, he's able to play a lot of cover six where. If you're a quarterback, if you're an offense, that free safety looks so far out of the picture that you mm -hmm. throw to the opposite side and they don't account for, and this is Eddie when he was 25, a guy with incredible range that could get over and pick those balls. And that is what's missing. So sure, some of it's the defensive scheme, some of it's the, the brilliance of a Vic Fangio and what he called, but it also helps to have young legs and young range to be able to get over there. And frankly, he's also not playing with Khalil Mack and, and Eddie Goldman and Robert Quinn and Akeem Hicks and Roquan Smith and Leonard Floyd and all of those premier talents at the time that are no longer even that anywhere in the league, but they're certainly not on the Bears anymore. Slick, slick Sophistication says Eddie Jackson is a bad influence on Brisker. No effort, Jackson. I kind of disagree uh, with you, Slick, on this one. I, I, I think that, you know, first of all, Jaquan Brisker had a press conference this week and spoke very, very highly of Eddie Jackson and, and the fact that the, he believes that the two of them could comprise the best safety tandem in the league. It's just that injuries have really hampered their development together. But I, I agree with Jordan, that this is more, much more with Eddie Jackson. This is much more about time and hits and physical uh, wear, and tear. Uh, wear and tear on Eddie that is really wearing on him and, and it shows in his play. I'm also a little bit worried about Brisker and the amount of injuries that he has suffered. Uh, uh, a couple of concussions already, uh, little nicks and so forth that have forced him to miss time. I ask you this, uh, Jordan, let's say you're you're brought into the Bears as a consultant, and you say, "Okay, we want to team up Jaquan Brisker with the ideal, you know, safety, whether it's via free agency or whether it's a, a college player. What attributes do you think would fit most with Jaquan Brisker?" Well, I, you know, this is the problem is I actually think that they had a decent idea. One of the things that I loved about Brisker coming out of Penn State is, and it's the, another miscast situation. This defense loves to miscast players. Sure, I did think Brisker would have been a better fit at strong safety, and he can play down in the box. But what was so special about Brisker is that he had enough range, intellect, and abilities to also play the deep half, the deep, even sing, even middle of the field close to play the deep third if you wanted that. Now, I'm not saying he's as rangy as Eddie Jackson, but I did think the concept of a guy like Eddie made sense. But I certainly think there's some truth to the fact that they've not been able to be helpful or healthy at the same time. You've got Eddie that's taken some attrition. And Aldo, you're very astute in that. It's, we're not talking about hand injuries here. We're talking about feet and ankles. And guess what? A guy that needs to run, those, mm -hmm. those hamper you. And age, we, I mean, I'm, I'm, 30, I'm 31. I know you're, you got many years on me. But I'll tell you, I don't feel the greatest at 31. I don't know that Eddie's feeling so great after either. So to answer your question, I – Certainly, you can probably find it in free agency, and and safety is a very undervalued position. I think you know how we've talked about this. I know Danny Shimon doesn't doesn't think safeties are valuable, but I love safeties. I think it's one of the most important positions on the field. So I'm with you. You can, you can cash in on them pretty cheap, 
But mm-hmm. I mean, I got, and you know me, I'm a draft Nick, uh, and I don't know if he's eligible this year, but Bud Grant, the safety out of TCU, is exactly what I'm looking for in a safety. He's a ball hawk, he's big, he's tall, and to the point of not just big, tall, we all want big, tall, strong, fast, but he's rangy. And he's mm-hmm. got to get his hands on balls, and he's a former cornerback. So to me, I think that's a guy that I like. Obviously, Kalen Bullock, the safety out of USC, has got incredible range as well. Um, so I think if you're asking me kind of top attributes, I and I know I'm a little bit of an old head here, you got to tackle, and that's always been a problem with Eddie Jackson. I mean, it, it, look, we're talking about at the age of Pop Warner football, the first thing I tell you is you got to wrap up and tackle. So Yes, please. That's, that's a prerequisite. <laughs> so I need you to tackle. I need you to have range relatively with oily hips to be able to change direction and fly to the ball. And I need you to at least be somewhat instinctive. So you have an idea of what the pass progression looks like to put yourself in position to make plays on the ball. Mm-hmm. Belt ball skills and all that we can talk about after, but I think those are my kind of three things that I need off the bat. Yeah. I'm collecting uh, questions and comments that I'll share with Jordan uh, shortly. I want to continue uh, talking about the defense. I- I'd love for you to, you know, share with us fans who um, may not know exactly the value of a really good nose tackle can do for any defenses, but especially this defense. Andrew Billings just got a contract extension. Clearly he's doing something right. Tell us what it is that he's doing. Absolutely. Well, uh, to me, I think the most important thing that you want from a nose tackle, but this also applies to defense in general, is gap discipline. We need you to account for your gap, especially in a single gap scheme like this downhill, even front, Eberflus 2005 defense. And so what Andrew Billings does an exceptional job of is he's stout at the point of attack, does not often get moved out of his gap. And that's also why I love the guy like Jervon Dexter is, yeah, absolutely. You want to, I mean, God, you want to put Andrew Billings and Jervon Dexter together and kind of a tight front if you want to do that, where they're just clogging up two gaps. What that does is that forces the ball out to your perimeter defenders. And that's not necessarily what you want. I've always, there's an age old rule that when the ball gets outside the hashes, you're in danger of trouble. But the reality is when you talk about a TJ Edwards, when you talk about a Tremaine Edmonds, you want players that are clogging up gaps so that those first level trench players are not making it to the second level and putting their hands on your Tremaine Edmonds, you know, fourth highest paid linebacker dime piece there. And TJ Edwards, you want them able to fly to the ball, to be able to fly to ball and guess what when you get a guy like Andrew Billings or Jervon Dexter that's clogging the gap the runner has to choose a different route to go and then you add a guy like like Montez Sweat who's saying you're not coming through this lane all of a sudden that creates hesitation where am I going I'm kind of dancing I'm bouncing around the ball and before I know it I've got my linebackers in a position to make a play Justin Jones, who this coaching staff really likes a lot. I think he got his first sack of the season today. I know he got a sack. I think it was his first sack of the season. What what are your feelings about Justin Jones? Is he an up and down player or is he a steady player with flashes of, uh, of, of goodness uh, for lack of a better, I don't want to say greatness. I don't want to be disrespectful because I, I think it's a little more than this. I think I'm being a little disrespectful, but it's another one of those tryhards. Um, and that's mm-hmm. not a problem. I want to be very clear. The average NFL, NFL career is three and a half years. So for a guy, any of these guys would be making it, they're doing a hell of a job uh, and certainly better than you and I are. But I mean, in this respect too, the reality is, is that he was a third round pick, which means that there's enough promise for him to maybe be a rotational player. He's got decent upside. Maybe he could develop into something, but at the same time, we're taking him on the day three because, you know, there's not quite enough there to say he's absolutely going to be an impact player. And that's kind of where I get the tryhard sense. Like he's explosive. He has some good plays, but he's not going to be 
your staple three tech that all of a sudden we go, oh man, just put you know a few guys around him and watch watch him be the engine of this defense that's going to wreck it. It's just not. And this is, I mean, look no further than the fact that at the end of the day, and it's all due, again, all due respect to Justin Jones. I think a lot of people forget and they're all shitting on him. But last year he was one of the leaders um, that really galvanized an, an awful team last year for the Bears. But he was still their second choice at three tech. They didn't want him. They had to pivot to him. So to sit there and say, you know, it's sure he got a sack. And this is actually the funniest thing about the Bears today is, yeah, Rasheem Green got a sack. And Ikengakwe got a sack. Justin Jones got a sack. I'd argue that on all those, I mean, one of them should have been Montez Sweat's sack. Another one should have been Dexter's sack. I mean, so it's just, it's one of those things where the unusual suspects got the sacks today um, when really I think that you could argue the more impact players um, should have found their way to the sacks and just kind of, that's just how the football goes. And that's why, to be fair, that's why I don't, and I know I'm sure you agree with this, Aldo, that's why you start getting sentiments around the league that sacks are kind of a, they're just not a sticky stat. They're, they're rather, you know, they're, they're shifty, they change. And that's why you do want to track pressures uh, and hurries because those are much more of a sticky statistic. I totally, totally agree with you. And it's actually something I used to say on the old 100 proof show to uh, uh, those guys' name. I forgot their names. Trap Dr. Phil and, uh, and the smartest man. I used to say that to them. And they were, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. I'm like, this is new football, man. Uh, you know, the, uh, the outside tackles on the offensive line are not, to me, and I think a lot of coaches are not as valued as the interior offensive linemen because that's where the, most of the pass rushes are coming. That's where the hurries are going. I heard Mike Mayock say it. Quarterbacks will always tell you that they prefer to step up in the pocket and make their throw than running around to the left or running around to the right. This It's just common sense to me that the, the offensive line, the middle of the offensive line has now become the more valued centerpiece, which is why – you know, perhaps guys like Kyle Long and now Tevin Jenkins are playing guard and not the tackle position because you could always scheme against that outside pass rush. Uh, you can you can find two and a half seconds somehow, some way by chipping the blockers, chip, chipping those outside outside pass rushers. A, a, am I crazy here, or, or do you agree with some of some? No, I absolutely thoughts? agree. And I mean, I think although you and I have had this conversation, which I'm. I, I would be curious if even like an Olin Krutz agrees with me from considering his position. But I've always said to me, the way that I'd break down offensive line priority is number one, the number one guy I want to get first is my blindside protector, whether that's right tackle, left tackle, obviously depends on the throwing hand of the quarterback. So it's blindside protector. But to me, number two, right after that is center. I need a competent center, a competent pivot. And the reason for that is it's kind of the connective tissue. Like I'm not trying to dismiss the value of a good guard, but the reality is, is that those guards kind of, they can play well with a good tackle to their left or a good center to their right or left. And so to me, I think that's kind of my priority is blindside protector, then your center. Then we can talk about other, other guards, other tackles. And so uh, to your point, and the reason for that, the reason why, well, Jordan, why do you value a center so much is, because interior pressure is the quickest way to a quarterback. And that's exactly to, to, to the credit of Ryan Poles and some of the philosophies and at least the plan, whether it's getting there is a different story. But I said this all in the offseason, the guys that they're acquiring are not – Yannick Ngakwe was a very unique signing, and I think that was because they were just looking to find somebody. But they're looking for pocket dents, dent, people that yes. dent the pocket, people that collapse it. They're not right. necessarily trying to bend the arc and get around and then force the QB. They want to collapse the pocket slowly but surely to where the quarterback can't step up. They can't step out. There's just nowhere to go because slowly the pocket is collapsing inside. And I think that's why you go pick up a, a Montez Sweat, a Walker, a Billings, a Dexter – 
uh, for those uh, Rasheen Green. I know nobody loves them, but these big brick shit houses that are made to just collapse the pocket. That's what the Bears are after. I think that tonight's three sacks against the Panthers was a really good example of that philosophy. I think a lot of the the, the pressures against this young quarterback were from the inside. And when he was first forced to go outside, there was uh, in Dockway to get a sack. All right. Uh, before we start talking about offense, and I've also got an eye on the press conference because I'd like to hear a little bit of what uh, – I'm, I'm in the minority here. I'd like to hear a little bit about what the head coach says. Uh, but uh, somebody uh, – and I think I started – was saying maybe Poles now is going to pay Jalen Johnson. I, I forgot who said it, but I want you to talk about that. What do you think about Jalen Johnson's play? To me, it seems like, you know, statistically, one of the beat writers said that he is playing among the best cornerbacks as he proclaimed he was in a press conference recently. Do you agree with that assessment? And would you sign him? And if so, what are you giving him? You're giving him tier one type money, close to $20 million a year, or are you trying to get him closer to $16 million? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny is maybe I'm just the most frugal bears fan that you'll meet, but um, I, one, I, let's start with the play. I do think Jalen Johnson deserves every penny that's coming to him. I do think he is absolutely playing among the top earners, the top players at the position, Good cornerbacks are not easy to find. I know it seems like maybe if you're the Chiefs, they're a dime a dozen, but certainly not here in Chicago. Uh, so the reality is I do think that it's worth every penny to sign him. The money has to go somewhere, and you do want to pay homegrown talent. And I don't even think it was just tonight's play. I think at the end of the day, Ryan Poles always has an intent to keep a guy like him. He is valuable. To me, and I think that, you know, to Hughes point, J.J. is an 18 mil player. I had a, a nice deep thread about what I thought he was worth, and I compared him to guys like Trevarius Ward and Carlton Davis. And I even said I was willing to go up to 15 because that was pretty high with the understanding that the salary cap would be increasing. Sure, and I want to be clear. It's not – if there's one thing that Greg Gabriel and I disagree is I don't believe in this hard number negotiation where, hey, it's $15 million, and if you ask for 15.01, I'm not doing it. If it's a if it's a, a little movement, sure, it's sixteen million, fine. But I don't think I'd be willing to go much higher than maybe sixteen and a half. And that's not it's not a disrespect on Jalen Johnson, but the reality with Jalen Johnson here is that as good as he may be playing with those top corners, as a defense, what you want is ball production. You want ball skills. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference between a Jalen Ramsey, between a Xavier Howard, between a Jair Alexander, between um, Denzel Ward, all of these top corners. And I mean, look no further. Look, you don't you, you don't want to listen to me. Take Jalen Ramsey that came off of a leg injury and in his first game back with the Ravens found a way to an interception. Or not Ravens, mm -hmm. excuse me, with the Dolphins. Jalen Ramsey comes back with the Dolphins, has a single game off of that torn meniscus and finds the way to the ball for an interception. That's what makes a guy like him worth that $20 million. It's not a shot on Jalen Johnson, but unless you're doing the same thing, producing on the ball, I can't pay you commensurate to the guys that do produce turnovers and takeaways because that's what I'm after if I'm looking at my defense. Do you think that Jalen can deliver on that if the Bears uh, continue, as expected, the, to improve their defensive line with acquisitions during the 2024 offseason? It's possible, uh, but I also am a firm believer that history tells you what you need to know, and we haven't seen it yet. So you got to show me, Jalen, for me to believe that. Now, I do think, to his credit, there's a lot that's not right around him, which kind of throws an issue. Why would I throw at Jalen Johnson when I could throw at Tyreek Stevenson? 
Why would I throw at Jayla Johnson when I could go pick a hole in the middle of the field because Jaquan Brisker's got his head up his ass somewhere and Eddie Jackson's not the same guy? You know, like, that's the reality. And so Jalen Johnson's sitting here going, well, damn, I covered my guy, but I didn't even get a shot at the ball because everybody else was giving up free passes. So what chance do I have? And that's to your point, although maybe if they get quality players around him and all of a sudden the defense starts really shelling up, maybe he gets a few more balls thrown at him. He had a couple tonight, but I mean, that's the point is he, I think he gave up a pretty nice slant to Thielen and Thielen's a vet and I understand it. And they're playing off coverage and there's a lot of reasons for that. But when you get opportunities, you need to capitalize on them. It's not like Jalen Ramsey and all these other top corners are just, man, they don't get any balls thrown at them and they're just finding magical ways. They get the same equal amount of opportunities for the most part. They find a way to make it happen. So at some point, you got to show up. It's just, it's sorry. It's what it is. We're in a production business. What have you done for me lately? And Jalen Johnson had a good game against Brian Hoyer. Fantastic. Great job. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, Eberflus is at the podium. Let's uh, listen into a few minutes of this. Of, uh, of the guys. The, uh, uh, into the hat. I really did a good job with. Uh... Come on. Oh, we're getting a bad signal out of there. Two minutes down there with uh, Bajan. Good job there, and uh, you know, scoring a touchdown at the end there, so it was good. Um, you know, overall, the performances I thought were, uh, you know, I thought that uh, Kyler Gordon played really well. I thought the D line played well. I uh, got some really good pressures. They had three sacks. Um, I thought some guys made some clutch catches. You know, uh, we had the fourth down try with Scott. That was a heck of a catch. Um, you know, in there, Mooney sealed the game. Uh, Cole made some really nice catches um, in there as well. Um, Deontay Foreman ran hard. I had a really good rushing average. I thought he did it, really did a nice job too of, of controlling the game and, and keeping it where it was. But uh, um, overall, yeah, excited to win the game and uh, the guys are pumped uh, for the weekend. You know, the rest of the recovery weekend for us. Um, the guys had the weekend off and then they'll come back in on Monday and uh, ready to go um, for the next uh, couple games. So with that, open for questions. Afternoon was 10 9 and you all scored that touchdown on that Foreman touchdown. Was there what consideration was given to going for two to make it a full seven points and then wouldn't be an issue, of course, when they're trying to drive down the time? Yeah, you know, uh, we were just uh, wanted to stack the points up there. You know, really wanted to stack the points up there. It was uh, it's that type of game. You know, we, we thought that our defense was playing really well and we know it was going to be a close game at the end. What were you anticipating? Get to everything that you wanted to get to? No. No, we didn't, uh, but uh, we, we certainly, uh, you know, had a good plan uh, coming out there. And, uh, again, it was uh, a defensive game uh, this, this this week. And uh, the guys did a really nice job finishing the game the way we're supposed to, and uh, uh, we did good. Did we see what was up your sleeve? Did you use it? or I don't know. What's up yours? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at Mr. Funny Man. <laughs> He's feeling himself all day. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. What was the discussion like? And uh, no, I mean, there's really a decision there you have, right? You know, so if you decide to run, you know, at that time, then you're gonna punt and pin, and they would have they would have had minute ten with no timeouts, you know, and, and hopefully on the ten yard line if we if we punt it right, you know. So that was the idea there. Um, we like the play call. You know, we liked the play call. We discussed it, and uh, we went for it. And uh, we thought that it executed well. Moody made a beautiful catch, and you know, he's one yard past the stick and sealed the game. So, um, really good play call by Luke. Um, excellent execution uh, by the O line, 
the entire offense and Moody on the catch and Beijing on the throw. Are you going to push the quarterback? No, nope, doesn't matter. No, he's he's done a good. Like I said before, he's done a really good job. You know, as a rookie, think about it. As a rookie quarterback, you know, he goes two and two, um, and uh, they're just you know coming coming into the NFL, you know, to operate an offense the way he did and and to do a really good job and you know sound. What, what was really good today was that you know he's always done a really good job avoiding sacks, you know, um, throughout the course of the four games that he's played. But what he did well today was he didn't put the ball in harm's way and gave us a chance to win. And on, on their last drive, what would you make of just kind of the backfield? It took them a really long time to get across the field. You guys kind of stiffened and forced a really Yeah, I mean, you know, those are, they were they were in a situation where they were, four, they were going four downs, you know, so we knew that. Um, and they had some good play designs uh, there, I thought. I thought that, uh, and obviously the third in inches, you know, we, we stopped them there. Then they go on fourth in inches. You know, that's a play everybody runs. But, um, you know, then they got another another fourth down. I thought that was a good play design there. Um, so, you know, then we end up getting them to midfield, you know, and then they really just at that point, um, I'm thinking, you know, knock them out of field goal range and keep them out of field goal range uh, and don't make it a game. And our guys executed well, you know, so we uh, dialed up a couple of pressures there. Um, and, uh, and then the third down pressure was good. There were Jack almost made the interception. Um, I know he's upset about that. I already talked to him about it, but uh, uh, he'll make that next time. And, uh, but, uh, then they missed the field goal. It was a long field goal, and, and uh, yep, they missed shot. Expecting Justin back based on what you saw this week. You expecting him against Detroit? Yeah, we'll see where it is this week. We'll see where it is, um, and uh, it's a big week to make that evaluation. You know, so we'll see where it is, and when when Justin's healthy, he'll be our starter, and and we'll see where it goes. Was he to being available today? Yeah, that's all I have right now. I don't have anything else. No, no more updates on it. That's all I have right now. That's where it is. He's learned his lesson. Move yeah, on. Yeah, he's really starting to free guys up, you know, which is what a good rusher does. You know, it really starts to free guys up on the inside, on the other side, you know, because he draws attention. And, uh, you know, just the way he rushes. And, again, I think his impact is going to be more and more as we go. Matt, on the uh, 79-yard punt uh, return reflection, how do you correct the lane integrity? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, Blackwell was just coming off, you know, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, his 21 day and he's now playing for us again. And uh, he took a shot, you know, and we're okay with that. You know, it's just, um, you got to just, you know, right guys on the right, guys on the left, you got to keep it on their inside pad and uh, you can't stack each other. And, you know, I think I saw that on the, on the, on the picture, you know, so that's a big thing that you got to really correct. Um, but our guys know that we just got to execute better. Always quarterback pulled the trigger on a wide open guy down the field. Always, you know, that's what we, that's what we want him to do for sure. Um, I saw him too. And uh, I don't know what, what Tyson, I haven't talked to him yet about it, but uh, um, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Throw it. Yeah, he's always been that way. Deontay is a, a tough guy. Uh, he's a great person. Uh, he's a great teammate, and uh, he's always he always shows that that toughness. And you've been optimistic throughout the course of these two seasons. Uh, what's it like for you in the locker room, these guys after a win, and having this kind of feeling going forward? Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun in there after a win, but it's, I'll just tell you this. It's fun to come to work every day um, throughout the entire time, you know, because the, the men we have in that locker room are unbelievable, you know, so they're, they're able to 
you know, pull together, okay, and, uh, and really do a good job of executing during the week. And, uh, you know, if we do um, what it takes to win, uh, which is what we did today, you know, we'll, we'll win more games. And, uh, you know, when you take care of the football and you do a good job of that and, uh, you know, play complimentary football as we did today at times, um, you're going to win some games. Yeah, just mixing the coverages. You know, we had a good mix of coverages there that looked very similar to each other. Um, and then when the when it's ball snapped, it's not it's not the same thing. So that's that's a, a, a good thing we did. You know, Eddie and, and Jaquan are really good disguisers um, of, of the coverages as, as well as the corners. Um, you know, they got a really good staff over there. Um, so it's you know, it's obviously Frank's my friend, and I know he's he's seen us. So I know that uh, I just try to change it up a little bit based on our, our time together. But uh, but yeah, they do a good job of disguising in the back end. In the second half, it looked like you were doing the spoon feeding motion, the go eat to the pass rushers. It's, do you, were you letting them go rush more freely? You saw me doing this? No. Oh. So <laughs> I don't recall doing that. That's fine. Is yeah. there, was there a certain mindset that you were you know, kind of trying to implore on them to pin their ears back? This will be the last yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those guys, we want them to go and go get it. And uh, I didn't, you know, didn't do a lot of stunts or movements. You know, I did that mostly with some of the pressures, but. Um, yeah, just let them pin and go, and uh, because it was being effective, it really was effective. Not only in third down, it was effective also, you know, even in early downs. So uh, they did a good job. Jordan, any thoughts? Uh, anything stick out on uh, what coach has shared with us? Yeah, I mean, I, I gotta say, I'm, I, the whole time I was smiling just because. Look, I, I've said this a lot. I wish more fans would, would get this, and I'm with a lot of the fans. We're like, can't listen to him talk, and he's so done with him. Look, I've, I've said it if. If he's back next year, I'm gone. You won't hear me talking about Bears football. I'm just not interested. But it's important to, to have some sense of nuance and understand. And I've said this a few times that whether it's Floose, it's Nagy, you can have any co- – I mean, we can go back to Trestman if you want. Nobody that the Bears hires is trying to come in and, like, tank or lose. or They're, they're all trying to do their best. This is their livelihood. And oftentimes you don't get a second chance, so it's important to capitalize on it. And I'm happy to see him happy. Um, I certainly think he's been stressed and it's can't have been easy for anybody in that building. And so um, I don't want to, you know, poke at him too much. I'm happy. He's happy. I don't think some of those I really take umbrage with, like you say, it was a defensive game when, you know, that the, it could have been is your ever was a great defensive coordinator and he's missing his starting corner and JC Horn and you're watching DiCaprio Boodle um, playing corner out there and he's missing, you know, Brian Burns, one of the best edge rushers. So, to sit there and say it's a defensive game. We live in an offensive league, and you need to be honest about the fact that your offense isn't putting up enough points. But uh, I don't want to poke at the guy. And I, somebody had put a great comment. I mean, I'm not going to say it one for one, but he, I loved it. I was dying when he said, uh, <laughs> I, I hope that Matt Eberflus gets some play tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it too. Hey, uh, Tyson Vigent is at the podium. Let's uh, listen in. <laughs> Let me uh, put up the audio. That'll help. Oh, great. Take a sack. A lot of clock to run. Yeah, initially the DN had dropped and then um, about waited about a half second, then added on uh, late. Once he added on, I just replaced that window uh, with the throw, and Mooney did a good job initially sitting because of that dropper and then working in. I like the way he recalls plays. Yes, I do too. Yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, going out with a win is obviously fantastic, uh, you know, for, for the team. And um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if this is it. And, you know, nothing really changes for me with, you know, the preparation, how I'm attack every week. Um, but, you know, I learned that it's really hard to win in the NFL. So appreciate all, all the wins. And um, just really, I appreciate the team, you know, staff and player included. They've all rallied behind me extremely well. And, you know, always, you know, I never had a doubt for a second that they all had my back. Not not that I would take any pride in something like that. I mean, you know, it is what it is. You know, the draft happened. Uh, however it went is how it went. Um, I just try to, you know, show up every day and continue to try and get better every year. Like, I don't think I'm at the peak of anything. Um, you know, I'm just looking forward to continuing to get better and then, you know, let the ball fall where, where I'm at. Even the way this game was, was going, and it was tough to, to really get momentum going, what did you take away from the touchdown drive that you guys finally got a little bit of rhythm, a little bit of opportunity to push it? I thought that it was solid, you know, good play calling, good mix of things, getting out on the edge, running the ball effectively, uh, taking completions, um, and really just taking advantage of the good field position that the defense, I thought, did a great job of all, all day. So um, it was good to at least capitalize on one of those when it was Direly needed. There appears to be when you start that drive with the 38. Is there a little bit of a sense of urgency? Uh, I don't know if it's spoken or not. Like, hey, we got this field position. We got to finally punch it in. Yeah, I think there's that sense of urgency every time. But I mean, like you said, even more so. Like, you know, hey man, all we, you know, we need a couple first downs. Let's get in a rhythm, um, and then we're in the red zone. So you know, we know once we get to the red zone, we want six points um, every time. So yeah, but you know, every drive is the emphasis. You know, we want. There's a there's a second and nineteen where he called Roshan Johnson. It looked like Tyler Scott may have been open deep downfield. Was in the second quarter with nine minutes left. Yeah. Uh, what did you see on that play, and is there an opportunity for Tyler Scott? Yeah, no doubt. Tyler Scott was was an alert for a for a low DB backside. Um, he wasn't low, but Tyler did beat him. So I mean, obviously, if I if I knew that it was going to be a not a low DB, but Tyler was going to win. I would have just thrown the touchdown to Tyler Scott. But um, you know, I love it. <laughs> how I saw it. Um, so I just worked through my progression, got down to Roshan for the checkdown. What did you think of Mooney's catch? I think Mooney's a stud. I mean, there's nobody that deserves to catch the ball more than Mooney. But just you know, I I, I resemble a lot of his work ethic um, and respect a lot of what he does just as a as a worker. Um, so anytime he makes plays. Obviously, I understand why he's making plays. It's because he works so hard day in and day out. Uh, thought he made a great play. DJ said he was surprised that the ball came his way on the first play. I think he's surprised that he came. I don't know why he'd be surprised. He's the best player uh, on the field. So, try got to get the guy the ball. So, you mentioned the one to Trent. Were you surprised that that got called back? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a good look at it, obviously, because, you know, I'm looking at about 500 different things. But, uh, yeah, it was a weird it was a weird gig, uh, especially when they, they called it wrong and then called it again. So, uh, you know, but, you know, got to keep playing. So, On that third and 20, I think it was the second and 19, third and 20, it looked like you checked out of something. I kind of alerted everybody along the line scrimmage, too. So what was that play supposed to be? What What play was it? What happened during the play? It was the one that went to Johnson. It's about five yards shy of the sticks. First half. It looked like you checked out of something. Oh, and I threw the the like kind of screen to him. Yeah, we had a um, 
we had a deeper dagger concept called um, but we had quads to the right and saw that they were in an obvious drop look uh, so not wanting to try and the, and the check to that was a, was a screen for the look and I thought that we had a good look to at least get uh, half of that uh, without having to think at all and you know if we get good blocks then you know breaks one tackle now we got the first down so that was kind of just you know seeing the depth of everybody seeing our numbers out there uh, getting the ball out um, not making anything you know not making it worse than third and 20 already is but the underperformance fights through the injury comes back and then obviously gives you some really strong carries what does that do for you guys in the huddle on the sidelines seeing that Deontay fight through that just momentum, you know, winning these games, it's, it's very momentum-based. You, you want to have the momentum as much as you can. So uh, whenever the O-line can, you know, and, and the running back can, can, you know, tag team themselves into being good on first down and second down, it's always uh, it's always a good momentum boost and always, you know, Take one more. really leads to a, you know effective drive that ends in points. Then you come to appreciate how hard it is to win games. What do you appreciate most about tonight's just a, a full team effort you know I think that we had our mishaps and uh, on offense but I think that's just why football is such a special game because uh, you got to do it in all three phases so I thought defense was was outstanding I thought special teams other than the return uh, made some great plays so um, a great team victory all right there he is Tyson Bajant. Um I, I really want to get your take on him let's talk for a few minutes about Tyson Bajan you know, I I am I always remark at some of the harsh judgment directed toward Tyson Bajan. Bajan, when you consider, you know, a Division two school, you know, uh, didn't I don't think it, it, Greg Gabriel says he got plenty of reps in, in preseason, but I don't quite agree with that. I mean, you know, uh, Walker was the backup quarterback, so I know he got a lot of reps before they decided to drop him. Um, so you know, he came in to this situation as a starter to replace Justin Fields with a lot of disadvantages. But I thought he should, he proved that he, at the very least, is a capable backup quarterback. But my question to you is, what's the upside? Can he be better than a Chase Daniel? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, and it's a very new, another nuanced conversation, I – I, I, you know, after watching that, and this is not the first time he had that beautiful 21 minute interview with uh, Michael Smith on NBC. And that really is what kind of sold me on the kid. I, I love this kid all though. Like I just, I love the personality, the, the charisma, the hard worker talking about having to kind of build a cold tub using a, his local lake in, in West Virginia. And it's kind of just, you know, he reminds me of like Quinn Miners and it's a guard from the Denver Broncos that people wouldn't know about, but he was kind of this guy that was literally taking logs and running around his island in Canada. And that's kind of what Bajent seems like to me. As far as his physical skill set, he's he's not tremendous in any particular area. He's quick, but he's not fast. Um, he's got a decent arm. It's, you know, he says he has a cannon. It's good enough. Uh, you know, I'll give you a good example. And, and, and this is true. His arm is no worse than Joe Burrow's. And I know that's like really now I'm not calling him Joe Burrow, but like oh. the whole point is that Joe Burrow is one of the more physically limited quarterbacks arm talent wise. Okay. And it's no worse than that. Now, of course, Joe Burrow is a whole different animal with his pre-snap reads, his confidence, the skill sets, uh, his pocket presence, all those different things. But you can win at quarterback with different skill sets. I mean, in the, the age old argument right now is anticipation. Well, Tua throws with anticipation. That's its own argument of like, is he throwing with anticipation or is he just throwing to a spot and hoping that his guy gets there? And, you know, mm -hmm. is he guessing things like that? But either you have one of two things, 
either you have the Will Levis, you know, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert cannon for an arm, a laser show where kind of Jay Cutler had this and people, Gary Bears fans should know this. You grip it, you rip it when you see it. And you have enough velocity to drive it in there, even if it's maybe not the best advice throw, but you have enough power to get it to your guy. Mm-hmm. Then you have guys that if you don't have that, then you are forced to anticipate. You can overcome the lack of arm talent if you can identify who your guy is and getting it to the ball in the spot when he gets there by anticipation. And that to me is if you want Tyson Bajan to win – that's going to be the quarterback he has to develop into. He doesn't have a killer arm. It's not electric. He's not a super fast runner. He, he has okay pocket presence. But the thing about him is that, and this is, I bring up the personality because although think, and Chase Daniel's a great guy. He's in media now. Think about all the backup quarterbacks of the league. Uh, you know, Nathan Peterman, PJ Walker, Josh Dobbs is awesome, but uh, Clayton Toon. Uh, yeah, I mean, go go around the, uh, you, Trace McSorley. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Easton stick from the Chargers. Oh think my about, goodness! Think about all those backups and yeah. you want those guys. Just on personality, you want those guys? Yeah, I you hear want you. Tyson Bajan, and I mean, then yeah. you think about just what he's shown, and you know, I was just looking it up, and it um, it's obviously hyperbolic. I'm not saying that this means anything, and a, wins and losses are not a quarterback stat in my book, but mm-hmm. I couldn't help but look at it and go. Justin Fields in his entire career, I think, has won six games. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. And and Tyson Tyson Bajan's won two and in, in in I mean goodness, he'd have another 30 or so games to try to get four more to match it. So I'm not telling you that they're the same quarterback, but there's a lot you can work with with Tyson Bajan as your backup. And you've got cheap financial control. And my favorite thing, just a cap on this, yes, I love the personality. Yes, he's got some skills. The best trait about a backup, and this isn't just Bajan specific, is I need you to, on your best day, this is all I can hope for out of a backup, is I need you to operate the offense cleanly, and that means keeping us ahead on the sticks, and I need you to protect the ball so that hopefully we can play complementary defense akin to that Raiders game, where if you just do kind of the average and you don't put us back, we can maybe on our best day win because you're limited, maybe you're not the starter for a reason, but you did enough to keep us in the game. And Tyson Bajan, to his credit, is showing that that's what he can do as a rookie, as an undrafted rookie, as a D2 rookie. And yes, I know he's had interceptions in the Saints games and things like that, but where the reality is he's learning too. He's trying to understand what windows he can fit it into. And I appreciate him because even when he's making mistakes, he's making them at full speed, meaning that's how you got to do it. You can't be overthinking. And even when he does make mistakes, he finds a way to put the ball in the end zone. He had two touchdowns last week to those three interceptions. So to me, I think he's a guy that represents a steady Eddie and that's incredibly valuable for his price. And then you add in the person he is, the persona, the personality, the, the maturity. I, I, I love the kid. I really do. I do too. All right. I got a multiple choice question for you. Um, do you want uh, Justin Fields to be the starter in 2024, or would you prefer that the Bears draft the quarterback in 2024, or would you prefer them to continue to develop Tyson Bajant uh, and have him come into camp and compete with Justin Fields for the number one quarterback position in 2024? You're going to get me killed here, Aldo, because we know how to <laughs> uh, But I'm not backing off of it, and I'm sure you remember this, and I haven't changed my stance since. After that Green Bay game, I came out on Barfly Tailgate and said, I am officially done with Justin Fields. I'm out. You can – it doesn't – I don't 
And it's really not so much the kid. It's just more about the timeline. I said at the time, Mm -hmm. he would have to play 16 incredible games to convince me otherwise after what I've seen of two years and now a horrendous loss against the Packers on their opening game Mm -hmm. to convince me otherwise. And I said at the time, even if it's not necessarily the kid, the chances of him doing enough in the eyes of Ryan Poles this season are immensely challenging to hit that threshold. Mm -hmm. And I'm not changing that. And I, I mean, look, we live in a league where GMs don't get second chances. They just don't. And if you think that Ryan Poles is about to go down and let his ship sink, ship ship sink, (laughs) If you think you're going to let your ship sink with Ryan Pace's selection at quarterback, you've got another thing coming. So um, from my perspective, I look, and I, I said, it really has nothing to do with the kid. I think he's been given a raw, raw end on a lot of things here in Chicago. I think one of Ryan Poole's biggest mistakes is tearing down a team around a quarterback. That's already a vested interest. You need to do everything possible to make that quarterback work, but he's never had the responsibility or the need to do that because he's always had the ace in his back pocket of, come on, George, let me pick my guy. So from that perspective, to answer your question, I absolutely would be drafting a quarterback with one of those top two picks in April. Um, now, I, you know, I'm I another unpopular take. I'm a J.J. McCarthy guy, uh, Michigan. That's my, I, my favorite quarterback. I, I love me some J.J. McCarthy. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to hear that. Everybody's we, we live in a world right now, although, where you only know of two quarterbacks. It's either Drake May or Caleb Williams. Everybody else yeah. is nobody. True. Um, so, you know, J.J. McCarthy's my guy. I don't think he he's even likely to be selected in that range, but I do think he will go higher than that. And a lot of people understand. He's going in the first round, right? Yeah, to me, I, I would take him top 10. Um, yeah. Just because of quarterback valuation, you always have to bump up. Even if a guy's like a second-round talent, there's always about a round and a half bump for a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. God, we've, seen, we've seen Christian Ponder, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert go in the top 10. I mean, you got to give me a little bit here. So uh, that's the guy I would like. But certainly, I think, to be honest, if, if Bears fans – and I say this as kind of a neutral guy. I'm a Bears fan, but I like the NFL and I like competent football – if you ended up with Caleb Williams, Drake May, or J.J. McCarthy, I think you're in a better spot than you are right now with Justin Fields. Um, and the reason I actually like J.J. McCarthy is because he reminds me a lot of Justin Fields. And I think that it would almost be – that's how much I appreciate and like Justin Fields is it would represent the chance to restart with a similar type player, but to do it right this time with hopefully more of an infrastructure built around him and he'd have the GM's faith and support. Uh, but, yes, to me, I all due respect to Justin Fields. I think he's done everything he can with this franchise, but I also think – um, the way I've put it is, I don't think he, to your point earlier, although I don't know anybody that's developed, to me, Justin Fields is the same guy that he was coming out of OSU with a lot less talent around him. And if anything, he's worn all the sacks and all the bad habits that he's built. So for me to say Justin Fields is the, my guy, I think he needs to walk back all of those negative things that he's built up to even begin to build it back in the right direction. And that timeline does not fit with Ryan Poles and the Bears. Mm. I, I want to talk about something that is highly controversial, and it, this may not be the best time, but at least maybe we can touch on it. And I was hoping Coach T would be here because this is something that he has been talking about on his uh, X uh, feed, and that he feels that there is implicit bias towards Justin Fields. Uh, the, the thinking is that 
these athletic quarterbacks, most of them are African-American, are being poorly coached by white coaches because they're trying to teach them the traditional pocket passer game when these quarterbacks can do new things. They, they, they can uh, introduce innovative aspects to quarterbacking that these coaches, like a Luke Getzey, according to Coach C, are incapable of coaching or have no uh, experience in coaching. This was first introduced by a writer named Kalen Jones back in April of 14th of 2021 when he was talking about the narratives surrounding Justin Fields' draft stock tumbling because it was Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields as the first two draft picks. And then all of a sudden, as the that college football season went on, people started lumping all this criticism against Justin Fields. Much of it unfair, like, you know, mm -hmm. he's not a good teammate. He all the concerns. Yeah, exactly. So – I, what I want to ask you is this. Are the Chicago Bears, do you think that they are missing out on an opportunity to help develop a truly innovative quarterback, Justin Fields, who can run and pass and do things unlike most pocket passers? Sure. Absolutely. I think that that's fair. And I, I've, I, you'll never hear me. That's what I'm saying. It's really not the kid. It's more about the situation, the timeline, the way things turned out. Justin Fields is one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever probably grace the NFL, truly. I mean, sure, you've got guys like Anthony Richardson and plenty of others, Andrew Luck, but um, Justin Fields has very rare skills and talent. But, again, the way it's played out, sure, I will be the first. I kind of agree with Coach T. I don't think that Luke Getze – if there's one thing I absolutely feel about Luke Getze is I think he came in and said, I want Aaron Rodgers. That's what I'm used to. And so Aaron Rodgers puts his left foot in front, so you need to put your left foot in front. And Aaron Rodgers lets his feet talk to him, and so you need to let your feet talk to him. And that is not how you should coach anybody. You should be ideally – I mean, look, we heard Mike McDaniel come out recently and talk about his experience when he got with Tua for the first time and really wanted to unlock Tua for who Tua was. It wasn't B. Jimmy G. It wasn't B. Robert Griffin. You should be coaching all players that way if you're a coach worth your salt. And I certainly don't think Justin Fields has got that 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 pleasure, that grace, that opportunity. And that's that's tough. That's why I think the Justin Fields issue is so divisive with so many Bears fans because they see the talent. And they go, "You're really going to let that that walk out the door." But I also think inherently, and you know, nobody really wants to acknowledge this. And I'm not saying Dan Burgler is God's gift to scouting, but he's one of the most respected guys I, I think there is. And and this not just him. You can I'll tell. Dude, everybody do me a favor. Go watch the Athletic Football Show draft feed. You'll have a good time because Robert Mays and Nate Tice were having a blast when Justin Fields was picked. But go mm -hmm. back and watch when Justin Fields was selected. It's a really shitty video where they were doing it off their iPhone, but you'll hear the analysis. And everything they were saying about Justin Fields then is still true. He was methodical, tried to do everything perfect. Everything was a little slowed down. He'd kind of, it wouldn't necessarily lock onto a read, but it was very, I go here and then I go here. And then before, you know, I mean, look, and then if you want further, go watch the Indiana game as senior, as junior year, when all of a sudden, when the pictures were changing and he didn't know what he was looking at, he was taking sacks, getting forced fumbles. He's the same player that he was out of Ohio state. And that's not necessarily his fault because he's not had quality coaches to say, let's build you up and cultivate you to be the quarterback you can be. And anybody can hate Matt Nagy all you want and that staff. And I'm not telling you that they were great. 
But that was my issue. And I, I mean, I've, I don't know how many people I've told this. Although I literally cried the night Justin Fields was drafted, not because I was happy. I was actually quite frustrated because I said, you're literally going to let Nagy and his staff pick him. They're going to be here for another three to four years. And I didn't think those were the guys, but I did have a problem when you draft Justin Fields to a staff that clearly had a plan and a belief in how to build this guy up. And you ship them out of Hallis Hall at the end of that season. And look no further than a guy that's not hired by any team. Josh Lucas, former executive in scouting for the Bears, said, well, absolutely, they had a plan. We were trying to sit fields for a while. We were trying to you know, keep him away from having to play games like that Cleveland game that you were at where he just took a beating. I think that it's kind of just a lost cause now. And I don't think it's the kid's fault. I think it's a dysfunctional organization doing dysfunctional things. Hugh Evans says, uh, I think part of this is on Justin. He just hasn't, for whatever reason, connected with Bears fans. We wanted to love him, but it's clear he doesn't want to be here. You know, there, there. I understand what Hugh is saying. Uh, Justin, when he has played well, even when and when the team has lost, his post-game comments and his Wednesday press conferences, he's much more upbeat. He's he's engaging. Uh, but when he has played poorly uh, and the team has lost, as always happens, he's never played poorly and the team has won, um, he's miserable up at the podium. And fans see that and get frustrated with him. You know, you, you want your quarterback, who is inherently a team leader just by virtue of the position, you want him to go out there and say things that are going to encourage you and that you get that feeling that he's saying those same things to the players. Now, we hear from the players that, you know, in a tough week, Justin is, is there, he's engaged, he's pumping people up, he's quizzing them on plays and so forth, but he's not showing that to fans. And you look at a guy like Tyson Bajant, he's got great communication skills and you, it's very hard to dislike him when you hear him talk. You can dislike him after you see him have five turnovers against the Saints. Absolutely. But I, I understand that. So getting back to your point, because I think what, what you said uh, just now was very astute. So what should the Bears do? Should they try to find a, a offensive coordinator or and or head coach who is better suited for Justin's unique talents or or what? No, I got, I, and it's not, I want to, let me differentiate here because I don't want to be mistaken. This is not necessarily my opinion. I'm going to give you kind of my opinion, but I'm putting on Ryan Poles' hat to okay. form this opinion, not me. I can't feasibly go into next season with Justin Fields because at the end of the day, the team has produced what, four or five wins, six wins in the last two years. We live in a league. You can go look it up. No GM gets a second chance. And so if, I, and yes, I'd like to think I've said this from the beginning. He's always had that card in the back of his pocket that he could put out to George and say, come on, George, I never got to get my guy. But at this point, and this is why I didn't think they'd trade him. It's why I think they're going to give him every chance to start. He's going to have every opportunity to say, look, we did everything we could for Justin. We got him a number one receiver. We drafted a right tackle for him. We spent money on free agency on the offensive line. We did. We, we traded for Chase Claypool to try to get him help in the second year. We did everything we could for this guy. We gave him two full seasons. The health is one thing. I can't control that. I gave him every opportunity, and I'm sorry, but it just didn't work out. And so to your question, Aldo, I think that they need new coaches, and I see J2K is asking about coaches and all that, and we'll talk about it, but – to me, 
I can't hire an offensive coach and take a third year and a chance hoping that Justin Fields is going to turn into a unicorn after he's looked like a pig with lipstick on. And I'm trying to be respectful here. And I know he had a fantastic year using his legs last year. But the problem is, is he has never shown consistency to play the game from the pocket and win. Everybody's going to point to a Steelers game in his rookie year, the Lions game. He had a good solid game against Miami with his legs and his arm. But there's never been consistency. And if you're the GM of the Bears, is that really who you're trying to hitch your wagon to? And if you take the fifth-year option, it's guaranteed for injury. He's never been able to stay healthy a whole season. Am I really going to flush that money down on an injury-guaranteed fifth-year option? It's it's not the kid. But if I'm Ryan Poles, I have to give myself an opportunity. And again, I'm not even saying it's going to work because we saw Nagy and Pace try to do it, and they got ousted after a year. But he has every opportunity right now to talk to George uh, McCaskey and say, look, let me select my quarterback. We're in the perfect position. I put ourselves in a good position. Or even if I take my quarterback, I'm not cutting my nose off to spite my face because I have a second pick that I can use for a receiver or a tackle. And now I have an opportunity to try to buy myself a little bit more road and say, come on, George, we just drafted this quarterback. Now I've got a new staff. We're going to develop and watch. It was a Justin issue. Luke's going to be able to do it. Whether I think Luke can do it or not, that to me seems so much more feasible than this other land that I don't want to call it fantasy, although, but it seems very far-fetched to think I'm going to just fire everybody. We're going to hire, you know, the next Mike McDaniel. We're just going to hit it off. Just come on. What are the chances really? Indeed. Good. Uh, good rant there for lack of a better word. Um, so let's go to J2's, J2's uh, question about coaches. Jordan, even if Flus is back next year, we still need a DC. Who are guys you're looking at? And if Flus is fired, what are your thoughts on Mike McDonald as head coach? I love Mike McDonald. It's hard not to love him, and he's finally getting some respect. And, I mean, I'd like to confirm some of my priors. He was actually – a lot of people wanted Jim Harbaugh back before Eberflus was hired and everybody, because it's so easy to go, well, we should just get Greg Roman and he should just get Vic Fangio just like the San Francisco days. And actually the guy I had pegged at the time because Jim Harbaugh at the time had Mike McDonald as his defensive coordinator at Michigan was give me Mike McDonald as the defensive coordinator for Jim Harbaugh. He's finally getting his flowers. Mike McDonald has run and has the defense looked good last year. Everybody's recognizing it this year, but it's looked good in Baltimore even last year. So to me, J2K Everybody knows I'm a Brian Flores guy. That is still the guy that I love because he runs a defense that's truly one of one in the league. But if you're chasing that Vic Fangio magic, then to me, Mike Daniel, Mike Mike McDaniel, Mike McDonald is one of the absolute best in the ways that he creates multiplicity and changes up his coverage with different personnel looks. I mean, he took my, my favorite prospect in the draft last year, Kyle Hamilton, 6'4", 220-pound safety. And although we love our safeties here, and he's weaponizing that guy to play in the deep half, he's bringing him up, up to the line. His defensive, I don't want to call it mastery, but innovation, his imaginative ways to call defense are incredibly special. Um, so to me, J2K, Mike McDonald is fantastic. I, If we're going defensive coach, it would be either he or Brian Flores. I know you had previously asked J2K, we're going to still need a defensive coordinator, even if Flu stays. I like, I mean, look, a lot of those names, especially now with the NFL, where we're going is you're going to see a lot of three, four and odd fronts. To me, I think the clear two names is one would be Mike Zimmer. Uh, Mike Zimmer is an older coach now, so I don't know if he wants to come back. And obviously you're, it's not just your scheme. It's do two guys get along. Um, you have Phil Snow in the building. I love Phil Snow. I think he's a creative guy, but he doesn't necessarily, he hasn't traditionally ran four down fronts, but maybe they build enough of a relationship there where 
Flus hires Phil Snow. The other name that I don't think a lot of people would maybe know or even talk about would be Ron Roberts. Uh, Ron Roberts is a defensive coordinator for the Auburn War Eagles. Uh, used to be the defensive coordinator uh, or defensive coach at Baylor. He runs a traditionally a 4-2-5 front, which is that nickel package. It's the same defensive front that Eberflus likes as a 4-2-5. So uh, Ron Roberts would be another option for me. Um, what do you think of, of gutting this whole staff and just starting over, is that what you would recommend Ryan Poles do? I mean, we've talked about, you know, hiring different, different defensive coordinators, different offensive coordinators, but isn't really the answer is to just start over. We've seen very successful general managers get an opportunity to hire a second, sometimes even third head coach before making Super Bowl appearances. Shouldn't that be in the cards with the Bears, you know, despite the fact that they they would be crucified by many in the media and some fans as here they go again starting over new coaching staff they don't know what they're doing and so forth but isn't that really the right answer for Ryan Poles? I do think it's the right answer, but I would and certainly it's all a game it's all a chess game. But I certainly don't think that the effusive praise that Ryan Poles had for Eberflus I don't think that can be chalked up as just you know a PR answer. And he he could have just said, look, we believe in Matt Eberflus he's our guy, and we hope to make, win in more games. But he really went out on a limb to talk about how much he admired Matt Eberflus and that A-plus culture they have in Alice Hall. So um, I'd be remiss to say I'm not at least a little concerned about him keeping Eberflus. But, yes, although to my in my perspective, I'd wipe the slate clean. The only issue I have with that, though, is, I mean, you tell me, doesn't that sure seem a lot like, you know, that moment when Ryan Pace brought – I could just see it. Ryan Pace brings up Matt Nagy and this is our guy and John Fox is, you know, yesterday's news. and But this is our new offensive coordinator and he's a brilliant – it just – and it doesn't mean that it will be the same, but I can't help but see this, this press conference, whether it's Ben Johnson, Kellen Moore, uh, Brian Callahan – where I just see Ryan Poles bringing this offensive young guy going, he's the answer that we got this, we're best buddies. And it doesn't mean it'll be the same, but I, I have that pace and naggy press conference burned into my brain uh, because it was a GM who got hired by the bears, got saddled with a culture defensive head coach and it went miserably. And then he campaigned to George McCaskey and said, let me hire my own guy. And it could work. I just know that the last time it didn't. And I, I, you know, call me crazy, but I'm scarred by that. MJ, MG says, just sell the team. Our problems will be over with if we sell the team. I, you know, one cannot deny that this defense has played better since Iberflus took over the defensive Indeed. coordinator and has done the play calling. From what you have seen of the Allen Williams coordinated team to the Eberflus coordinated team. What what's what's going on? What what has Eberflus done differently that Williams wasn't doing? It's not functionally different on the architecture of the defense. It's still an even even uh, an even front. They're still calling a lot of soft off coverage, cover 2, cover 4, uh cover 3 on early downs, middle of the field closed. But as far as just, you know, down to down, game to game in comparison, there's no doubt that Matt Eberflus is more creative and daring and aggressive in his blitzes. And it's not that he's become Brian Flores, who's a guy that I love. And we'll talk a little bit about blitzing and why that's so important is I'm a fan of trying to, and this is why I don't functionally like this defense. I think it's important for a defense to dictate the terms of engagement to an offense, which is to say, you have to set your protection based on what the front I'm presenting looks like. You have to call your offense based on what you think the coverage is going to look like. 
that is dictating the terms of engagement. And when you sit in off coverage and you don't present blitz possibilities, the offense goes, oh, okay, well, then we'll just call highs and lows. And it's exactly what you saw in the Chargers game for what it's worth. I mean, that's literally what it looks like. And mm-hmm. so to me, the benefit of what Matt Eberflus is doing is he's utilizing more blitzes. And I don't know if that's because he thinks his, his ass is hot on the hot seat because they're not winning a lot of games. He's just throwing everything at the kitchen sink trying to get an answer. But I absolutely do agree with you, although the defense has looked much better since he's called it. Whether or not he can continue to do that and be the head coach is a different story. But functionally, the difference between what Alan Williams was doing and Matt Eberflus is it's a lot of the same bones, but it's, it's you know, and that's the same thing. It's the same CD. It's the same list of songs. It's just about what order are you playing the songs in? And it's one guy, one cook using his select brand of ingredients versus another. And I think that's where you're not seeing functional real changes in the actual architecture of the defense. It's just about somebody turning a knob this way, turning a dial a little bit over here where this one wasn't turned. And that's how you're getting a different outcome. It's highly likely that Justin Fields will return for the next game, which on our little calendar here is the Week 11 game at Detroit. What are your expectations for Fields if indeed he makes that start against the Lions? Do you think that this time off might have helped him? Do you think that perhaps watching Beijing get rid of the ball quickly has helped him? Or do you think we're going to see more of the same because Luke Getze just doesn't know how to play call for him. What are your expectations for week 11 against the Lions? I don't mean to sound like a downer, but I don't have a lot of hopes for it. Uh, Detroit is one of the better teams in the league. And uh, I mean, I, what do I know? I'm not a professional, although, but in my opinion, you certainly don't get better when you don't play. Um, so having this idea that Justin Fields is going to come in and look like a brand new quarterback, I find that hard to believe. I think that one, it hasn't been an extensive amount of time to sit and learn. I don't think he's learning behind some wily vet that's got years of sage advice to give him. Um, he's been trying to rehab and I think he's going to be much the same player. You know, you can't, can't take the stripes off of a tiger or, you know, whatever the analogy is. And so I think that inherently he's not played. I don't think a player magically changes or gets better by not playing. And so, and then on top of that, we're just talking about the Detroit lions. Uh, Aaron Glenn has that defense flying around. And uh, I mean, look, I, I get, it's a nice, good, feel good win. And like I said, I was happy for Eberflus, but you beat a team that had two wins. Uh, you're talking about the Lions, who outside of the Baltimore Ravens, who are the best team in football right now, for my money, um, have been laying waste to plenty of good football teams. I mean, they beat the Seahawks, who are a quality team, uh, you know, beat the Chiefs. And I know that was week one, but they also they played the Chiefs hard. Their defensive front is good. Um, obviously, Ben Johnson on offense creates. I think Ben Johnson's going to have a good old day with uh, Flus and the boys. So I don't see some magic turnaround. Crazier things have happened. But as far as Justin Fields, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a lot of hope. I think a guy that's methodical and holds onto the ball long isn't a good recipe for success against, uh, you know, the Aquara brothers and Josh Pascal and Aiden Hutchinson and, uh, you know, all uh, Levi on and every other defensive end and, and tackle that they have on that defense. Jordan, it's always great talking football with you. Digging into the mind of Jordan is uh, one of my favorite things to do. Really enjoy these conversations, your your uh, input on the team. And like you said, you follow the entire NFL. So your perspective is different than others because you have a really good understanding as to what's happening in the league and how the Bears fit into what's going on in the league. You, you can talk about the left tackle position because you have a pretty good understanding of the other left tackles and 
in the National Football League. And some people uh, who are analysts for the Bears really just focus in on the Chicago Bears team. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your uh, thoughts. Is there anything else that you want to share about this game or the Chicago Bears in general before we pull the plug on this episode? No, I, you know, one thing I guess I'll do is I know that there was obviously some talk about, is this a win-win or is it a lose-lose? I mean, because obviously if you beat the Panthers, you get a better record. If you lose to the Panthers, you're conceding some draft spots to them. I think at the end of the day, a win is a win. I think this is positive if you're a Bears fan. Uh, certainly, I mean, look at it this way. You've now pretty much solidified that, and you want yourself to do better than the Panthers to do better, so that's a benefit. The Panthers don't have many totally easy games left, and this is probably one of their best easy games that they could have won and they didn't. It's almost a guarantee at this point that the Panthers pick is going to be, honestly, it could be number one, but let's say top two, top three. Um, And that's even if Justin Fields turns into Patrick Mahomes and everything else goes off. So um, it's a good day for a Bears fan, and I don't think this season is going to be what we all hoped, but... Um, you, although you pointed it out earlier and I appreciate it that it's, there's a lot of fans and then myself included that are ready to bail if certain things go on, but the bears have a lot of opportunity ahead. And if you believe and you agree with the philosophy that the GM has operated under for the past two seasons, um, he's even made an incredibly astute move by having two first rounders this year to pick up a quarterback if he needs or do X or Y. And, uh, this class, I wouldn't say that this draft class is, is spectacular, like none you've ever seen before, but there are a lot of really intriguing players that don't hit every class. And if you're a Bears fan, that provides you a lot of hope past this season into potentially a new head coach, maybe a new offensive coordinator, maybe a new defensive coordinator, maybe a new scheme uh, down to, you know, is Justin Fields out and you're getting a new quarterback. That's always providing new hope because you don't know what you're getting. And so uh, if you're a Bears fan, I think you're, you're, it's not great times right now, but you've got optimism on the horizon. I think that's always, you'd rather be there than we're the Raiders and we don't know where we're, we're spiraling to right now. I got one more question for you before we get out of here because I was thinking about this earlier and I forgot to to ask you. If the Bears were to draft Marvin Harrison and and come back with Fields and Bajit as their one and two quarterbacks or have them fight for the job or whatever, but the, the question is, how much could Marvin Harrison cure the Bears' offensive holes? I want to be very clear because I think it's very easy to sound like I'm down on Marvin Harrison. I'm not. I still think he's clearly a tier one player, maybe the, the cleanest blue chip player in the class. But I think that as good as Marvin Harrison is, he does lack a little bit of maybe what everybody's calling, you know, in generational, such a silly word, but he doesn't have a lot of run after the catch ability. Um, he's a very refined route runner. He's got good size. He's got good enough speed, but he's not an incredible burner. So I wouldn't tell you you're getting like this is the thing he's a good player but don't think you're getting jamar chase or tyree kill it's important to know what you're getting um but to me he represents a guy that i i think low end and this could scare some people off you're looking at Devonte parker from louisville who i just think he hasn't been in great situations um, but he's a ball winner that's low end and that's still a quality player it's a guy that bill belichick and i know he doesn't have the greatest track record but went out of his way to trade for to try to bring mm-hmm. some help to mac jones high end you're looking at aj green And A.J. Green was a fantastic player. And to your point, Aldo, I think this is why I'm so high on the Marvin Harrison Jr. pick. And I know Greg Gabriel doesn't think they'd take a wide receiver that high. And I think that'd be a misstep. And it's all about perspective. But X wide receivers, and for those that aren't familiar, X wide receivers are big solo ball winners they can line up on the backside facing one-on-one coverage and can you can bet on to win that's michael irvin that's jerry rice that's des bryant 
that's Vincent Jackson. These these archetypes of wide receivers don't come around all that often that are considered like true, legit, super good to great athletes. Um, and to me, having that guy, to your point, Aldo, slotting him in allows DJ Moore to be not a secondary piece, but to play the Z. Right. It's a nightmare because if I've got Marvin Harrison on one end and DJ Moore on the other, and I've got Tyler Smith, uh, Scott or Velas Jones or whoever you want to put at the slot, we've got a legit passing attack where right now, I don't mean to make it sound bad, but you know, here was your ex receiver tonight, Equinemia St. Brown. And that's an honest yeah. to God answer. So like, yeah. that's the difference. And so could it, could it change your quarterbacking? I, who knows? We're going to see if that's the case, if it happens. But there is absolutely a precedent for that, whether it's Tyreek Hill to Tua, whether it's A.J. Brown to Jalen Hurts, whether it's Stephon Diggs to Josh Allen. If you get a uh, Jay, uh, Jamar Chase to Joe Burrow, if you get a special receiver, it absolutely can change the outcome of your offense and what it does for a quarterback's confidence. Fascinating stuff. And J2K says, I think you draft the blue chip player regardless of position. And I've subscribed to that theory many, many years, but I, I, I'm not quite sure that should be the case this year. It's something we'll be talking a lot about over the next several weeks, next few months, actually. Well, the, else idea is, the, the idea is you hope to thread the needle where you're drafting a blue chip position at a position of need. And uh, yes. And I don't know if I love this, but the reality is the Bears have plenty of positions of need. So throw a dart at <laughs> the dartboard. You're probably good to hit a bullseye on one of them. So uh, that's probably, probably going to improve the team. No, no yeah. doubt about it. He is Jordan Silvera. He is one of the best in the business. Thank you very much, Jordan. I will be back here in about 11 hours at 11 a.m. Central with Greg Gabriel to get his take on this game. You're so a and Jordan, we'll let you get back to your lovely wife. Uh, really appreciate your time tonight. And thanks for stepping in and doing such a great job. Really appreciate you, brother. Aldo, you're the man. Chad, thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the Bears win and bear down, everybody. All right. Bye-bye.